0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of the wife who the podcast where we talk about the lives of extraordinary women from the past hi louise hi caroline how are you doing this week
1: oh probably just the same as last time i spoke to you
0: same old same old god it's just like lockdown monotony isn't it It at this point it's very much
1: limbo now it just feels like it's been going on and on and
0: on yeah it does. Although we're starting to see the first signs of maybe they're going to ease restrictions at this point. So, I know. one day we yeah. might be able to see each other again. Oh, imagine! Mind <sighs> you, by the time we put out this episode, this will all be long gone. <laughs> so we take quite a while. And we to might air be in them, the them, second we? wave of the <laughs> we pandemic. Might be, oh God, I hope not. <laughs> so this week, um, it's quite funny, really, because last time you did Julie. How do we pronounce the surname? Daubigny. I think Daubigny, who was French from I think the 17th century something like that Um, Uh, 18th century 17th century century. I think yeah okay and this week I am also doing a French woman from around the same time actually who knew there were so many of them I've (laughs) known about half the population at the time I should imagine (laughs) But yeah, it's just weird coincidence that we both chose a French woman and were separately researching her and not knowing. Uh-huh. Um, so this week, I am going to tell you the story of Jeanne Baret. Have you heard of her? Jeanne Barret, no. Tell all. Okay, so Jeanne Baret is the wife who was the first woman to circumnavigate the globe. And she did it disguised as a man. Of course she had to. Absolutely, she did. Um, But actually, she's really interesting. Uh, She never set out, she never really wanted necessarily to circumnavigate the globe. She was almost a a victim or, well, not a victim, an adventurer of circumstance. Um, It's quite an interesting story. So I'm looking forward to telling you about it. But before we get into her, I do want to do the old trigger warning because I'm afraid it is going to come up sometimes when we talk about women from history that we will be discussing a potential rape. So... I'm sorry, guys, same as with Artemisia. If this is something that you find triggering, um, please skip this episode. The book that I'm using, I actually did, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I was having to actually read a book and not That's just listen to an audio book. <laughs> um, by someone called Glynis Ridley, and it's called The Discovery of Jean Barret. Um, now, I'd already started reading this book. Before I realized that Glynis Ridley is originally from Newcastle upon Tyne, where we both live. (laughs) I know. It's like it's so weird, isn't it? We just keep finding. So, but she's now a university professor in Kentucky. And so she she moved across the water to the States. Yeah, she did. And I swear, I did not know that she was from Newcastle before I picked up this book, honestly. Right. So on to the life of Jean Barret. Of course, because it's her we're
1: talking about, not Glynis.
0: It is. Although, Glynis, good on you. You know, she's obviously done really well Mm -hmm. and well-educated. She's a university professor. The wife who did well. Yeah, absolutely. So, bonus wife, Glynis there. So, Jean. So, she was born in 1740 to a family of day labourers. So, you know, these are the people, they're like almost... um, they, they work during the harvest season. And then if there's no laboring work in the winter, they could be starving. So this is definitely a poor upbringing that she comes into. This um, sounds like
1: in a hardy's time where, you know, yes. the laborers <laughs> who uh, cut, what, what do they do? They, they gather the harvest, don't they? And then they have to move on to the, the next awful yes. job. They have
0: to do like the potato picking. That's exactly the sort of family she was from, but she, became a herb woman so almost like a a herbalist yeah definitely a herbalist like a folk botanist kind of um Mm. so she knew all about the medicinal properties of of plants and stuff she was a witch um, well does make you think doesn't it (laughs) but there was quite (laughs) a few of them around and apparently they were genuinely quite revered because they were they were experts they were authorities on plants and they could do folk medicine you know I mean, for the record people, I am a Chinese holist, so yep. I'm all for it. And I
1: don't think she's a witch. I just wanted to like <laughs> make that clear.
0: <laughs> I think you're a witch, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so interestingly, she could actually read, even though she's from this sort of poor background, because her mother was religious and generally um so that obviously you've got the whole catholic and protestant thing and her mm-hmm. mother's religion um was more about needing to be able to understand the bible yourself so she taught her daughter how to read so that was a good start yeah but in general women weren't supposed to know about medicine herbs botany botanics at all and actually I think you're really gonna like this I've got a fun fact here to tie in with a previous episode which you did on Mary Wollstonecraft oh I love a tie (laughs) already two I think at this point so I think it was in the vindication you remember the book the famous book that she wrote Uh she actually recommends in there that women do receive a botanical education to cultivate the mind and to promote greater awareness of the body. Mm. Now, the reason for that is that male stamens of plants and female pistils, it's basically, you know, pointy thing and a hole. Yeah. So (laughs) it's it's learning. Yes, it's learning about sex, which, of course, horror. um, Women aren't supposed to know about these things back in this time. Um, So this is quite bold. And so Wollstonecraft said that Eve, Eve even Eve, as in Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. could have been saved from evil um, if she'd understood botanics. How interesting. Because, of course, yeah, she would have understood what was going on. Hmm. There you go. So our Jean, she's out in the fields one day having a look at some plants and she comes across this man and his name is Philibert Comerson. Now I'm not, I'm not going to do the French pronunciation the whole time because it's, oh, it's going to wear it. <laughs> Comerson. I don't know. I don't know if that's Commercon? right. I'm uh, just going to call you- him Comerson because it's easier for my English oh, mouth so to wrap around that. <laughs> the son of a comma <laughs> yes commerson and this guy is a gentleman so she looks at him and she can just tell that he's got some money he's a man of connection and it turns so he's out not he's not covered in
1: mud and he's wearing clothes <laughs> that look clean
0: yes exactly so he's probably got a starched collar and everything yeah um he's a qualified gentleman Doctor, but he's chosen to specialize in his passion, which is botanics, and he wants to become a botanist. So he's out doing a bit of research. And he's recently gotten married and he's moved to the area. So they get chatting and obviously they have this in common. So they get on really well. And I mean, apparently, this sounds like
1: something from a Thomas Hardy novel, Caroline.
0: <laughs> it does Keep a bit. Right. It really does. <laughs> it goes way beyond any Thomas Hardy novel that I've read, though. So uh, hang on in there. Um, so... Yeah, she. So she's reading and uh, not reading. You've you distracted me with uh, thoughts of reading a uh, Thomas Hardy. Because, funnily enough, just before I came up to um, to record this with you. I was looking for a new audiobook because I've just finished listening to uh, King Solomon's Mines, which, by the way, is brilliant. It's such a great, like, adventure story. And the next book I've got lined up is Thomas Hardy's The Woodlanders, which I've never read or indeed listened to. No, I haven't read
1: that one either. No,
0: but it was like, it was on sale ages ago for like two quid or something on there, so it's like, oh, give that (sighs) a try. But I've kind of been putting (laughs) it off because Thomas Hardy's stories can be so depressing. Yeah. Anyway, so... They get chatting and they bond. And apparently it's quite likely that he would have paid her to learn from her and asked her to be his teacher because these herb women were experts and a bit of an authority. I mean, she's only 20 at this point, but she still knows lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. So as it turns out, this commerson guy, he's a top guy. He's just come back from working on a new revision of a massively important encyclopedia with a guy who is known today as the father of taxonomy Linnaeus who is the basically he's the guy that invented the way that we name species and you'll you'll say genus x y or yes, z and I know exactly
1: what you're talking about. yes and wow. he,
0: he's the one that invented that and we still use that today so he's been working with him Wow. yeah and he's come come back and decided he wants to do more of this botany side of things so she's impressed by him but he's also kind of impressed with her so they build up a good working relationship and they get to know each other a bit now back at home his wife shortly dies can you guess what his wife might die from typhoid or it's a good guess it's Hmm. the other thing childbirth yes well done yes so the wife dies from childbirth but his son does survive now, he needs some help because he's got a son and he's on his own in this new town where he hasn't been that long. And he asks if Jean would like to come and be his housekeeper. I bet he does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's I think he's like tw- uh, 34 or something and she's 22 at this point. Um, so, you know, I candy. Would I you be my au pair? <laughs> would you be my teacher? And would you be my lover? Well, I mean, she agrees and it's not clear whether, any, you know, they actually were lovers before this, like, while the wife is still alive. Um, but within a couple of years, she's pregnant. So... <laughs> but, not, but not married. Not married. Nuh-uh. Ooh controversial exactly you can imagine the local society in this little town is outraged all the um, gossip monkeys will just be giving it some yeah they will and get this the dead wife's brother is the parish priest <laughs> no <laughs> i know so they are scandalized so of course well,
1: particularly because she'll be looking after his nephew right yes she's, the, she's effectively
0: become the um the outlaw uh stepmom yeah yeah exactly but like, I mean, she when she has this baby, she doesn't put his name on the birth certificate, but I think it's pretty clear that it's his because there's a few things. Apparently what you're supposed to do at a time, at this era, is you're supposed to chuck out a pregnant servant to show your indignation. Um, what you're not supposed to do is run away to Paris with her. <laughs> um, yeah. And the first baby, right? Tell me they didn't abandon
1: the first baby. You know the dead wife's baby the nephew of the parish
0: guy i am so sorry to tell you he gives the two-year-old baby to the parish priest on his way right. to paris so they've got everything in the carriage he's got his mistress wow. who's pregnant in and the he carriage. he
1: chucks out his firstborn
0: yeah on the way yeah ouch nice work
1: <laughs> <sighs> oh dear
0: Okay, so they arrive in Paris. Now, Paris is quite an exciting place to be at this time. It's Louis the fifteenth time, um, which the
1: Sun King is he? I think
0: he's the one. No, it's Louis the
1: fourteenth. Yeah, it's Louis the fourteenth. That's the Sun King. Yeah,
0: exactly. And at this point, Jeanne changes her name to Jeanne Bonifoy from Jeanne Barret. He doesn't marry her. And he seems to be pretty indignant at the idea that he might. We've got a letter, apparently, from his brother-in-law and to his brother-in-law, where his brother-in-law is saying, you know, what are you going to do? Are you marrying this? And he's like, why the hell should I marry her? What on earth are you on about? And also keep your nose out. (laughs) It's like that.
1: Wow. Mm. Uh, this guy's going down in my estimation now.
0: Yeah, he's a bit of an interesting character. He, You, know, you don't quite know where... I think he genuinely loved her and stuff, but he doesn't always make great decisions. I don't know. Uh, we'll and he see. didn't want to give her his name. No, he did not.
1: Even though she just took it, right? She just took it. No, that wasn't Was that his her?
0: surname. She made up a surname called Bonfoy. Bonfoy. Um, she just, She just makes one up. I think it means good oh. faith. The surname okay so she has the kid in paris it's a son she doesn't name the father on the birth certificate and what do you think they do with this kid
1: well i like to think that they you know nurture and love and bring the child up to be a progressive feminist man
0: now that is why i love you but of course what they actually <laughs> do is they put the kid into the paris foundling hospital uh, no yeah where tragically so they, they abandon the child yeah they do and he dies within a few months I'm sorry to say Ouch. so yeah it's rough um, and actually this there was a really interesting fact from the author here at this point that 60,000 babies were left in French doorways every year that decade. So in the 1760s, every year, 60,000. Yeah. And over a quarter of babies born at this time in Paris are thought to have been abandoned. A quarter. That's, I mean, wow. That's
1: astronomical numbers, isn't it? Yeah.
0: So to be fair, leaving him in a hospital kind of seems a lot better than just leaving him on a doorstep. Well, until you find out that he's died within a few months anyway. So in paris commerson who of course is quite well connected if you remember he's hanging out with all the intellectuals around the royal court as well because of his links with this linnaeus guy mm-hmm. and this is the time when the world is racing to find australia because it's they haven't yet um so but how do they know about it if they haven't found it's it? hypothetical at this point um I, I don't know. I, yeah, right in guys. <laughs> um, so this is when you've just had the seven year war between France and Britain to decide who's going to get the empire in India. And we the Brits have just got Canada too. So Britain is looking pretty smug about now, right? And France are pissed off. So Britain, Spain, and the Netherlands have all successfully done a one-way trip around the world, which is called a circumnavigation. And France right. are a bit jealous, right? And they don't want to be left behind. So the king decides that they need to do one as well, just to prove that obviously we are just as advanced as the rest of Europe, mm-hmm. if not more Anything so. Anything
1: you can do, <laughs> we can do better. Yes,
0: keeping up with the Joneses, isn't it? Yeah, and they on um, because they're going to do this massive. It's gonna be like a three year trip. They also want to collect lots of exotic and exciting plants, maybe ones that could be commercially valuable that we can uh, plant back in mm-hmm. in France and stuff. So of course they need a botanist, don't they? And well, we know a botanist, don't we? We we certainly do. Mm-hmm. Now Commerson, he's a top guy. He gets the job straight away. So he's going to go on a three year trip around the world. What about Jean? so
1: the true botanist right yeah she's the
0: uh, she's the one with all the experience and the knowledge exactly and he does actually need an apprentice anyway um an assistant because he's got a gammy leg there's something wrong with his leg don't ask me the details but it's something wrong with his leg that flares up and occasionally is really bad he can't walk about so he needs an assistant who can do all the the heavy lifting and all the wandering up the mound down the mountains and stuff so yeah they hatch this plan that they're gonna bring her along now it is strictly illegal to bring women onto ships the king himself has forbidden this so it's a huge risk um they would be breaking the law was
1: there some was there some kind of um not phobia like uh, some kind of you know urban legend type thing that it was a it was a curse or bad luck to bring a woman on a boat
0: i yeah i i heard about that Uh, an ill omen if you bring a, yeah. a woman on board, um, and also to be fair, you can imagine you've got two hundred like men on a ship that haven't seen a woman for two years. You put a yeah, woman in there, rampant. Yeah, you're asking for trouble, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they hatch this plan, as I say, that she is going to be this assistant. Um, I, I mean, it's a big moment. It is a big risk. It's a big decision for her. It's if she is discovered there's that's trouble i mean who knows what she could, could happen. be thrown
1: overboard right or something or worse
0: could i mean you know who knows what could happen yeah. to her with like 200 sailors on board um but and i can't decide i, I really haven't decided whether she goes on this trip out of love for this Comerson guy whether she goes Out of desperation because she can't really go back to her hometown, remember, because she's like to talk at the town back there and now she hasn't even got a baby. And the third option is is it just a sense of adventure and wanderlust that she's like, wow, this is a whole new world? Who knows what we'll see out there? Or is it a combination of all three? What do you think? I
1: don't know. Yeah, I I don't know either.
0: It was a Big risky move, wasn't it? To massive, take. massive deal. So th- Really brave. They concoct this bizarre sort of dramatic plan that she's going to dress as a man. So of course, she's going to bind her chest tightly, dress as a man, and she's going to approach him on the docks just as the boat is about to leave and offer to be his assistant. And he's going to accept in front of lots of witnesses so that they can basically pretend they've never met before. So if she does get discovered... It's
1: the theatrics of it, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I I think they're covering their own backs. So if she does Mm -hmm. get discovered later, he won't be liable for it, you know? So... Right so they do this and they pull it off somehow um, oh and the other thing before they leave as well he does create a will to look after her in case he dies which is quite nice um, yeah it is yeah I was surprised maybe he's
1: not all that bad
0: yeah I mean he did abandon both his children well um, yeah he did and refused to marry her yeah he but yeah <laughs> you know I guess there's there's a
1: few good things in there
0: I think he genuinely cared for her I don't know I don't know anyway so, this uh, voyage is actually two ships, and in total, there's 300 men across the two. And the ship that they're on is called the L'etoile, and it's got 116 men on it. And this okay. this is this is big deal. This is going to be the first French ship to go all the way around the world. It's going to be out for three years. It's going to be a massive voyage of discovery and adventure. It's massive. So somehow they managed to land the captain's cabin for themselves which is Whoa. yeah it's pretty fortunate because it means she can yeah, it is pretty awesome she can sleep in the same quarters as him whereas normally mm-hmm. she would have to sleep with the other servants in the hold which is going to be awkward right it's going to be very
1: awkward. I mean, when she's not like having a piss like this. Yes, her.
0: exactly. How is she going to do the toilet thing? So and the shower? Because I bet they all. Well, maybe they didn't shower. Yeah, back I, I really don't think they showered uh, at
1: all. <laughs> I don't know. Not a shower, but you know, even just with the bucket where they have to kind of, you know, clean themselves.
0: Yeah, and using a bucket. Because she can't even take off her shirt. So whereas a lot of the sailors, you know, if it's really hot or whatever, they'll take off that. She's not. So yeah, she can't let them see the binding exactly can she, at any point. So she's pretty lucky they've got this captain's quarter because it's got like a little almost balcony off the back of the ship where it's yeah, almost they private. They really looked out there. Yeah, they did. Um, but still, during the day when they're out on the decks and whatnot, all the men are just you know peeing over the side and whatnot. And they do notice yeah. that she never does this, and they do notice that she's not taking her shot her top off and stuff. So. Uh-huh.
1: Rumors. So she's just not behaving quite as masculine as yeah. you would expect.
0: Yeah. And also she looks pretty feminine. I mean, obviously some yeah. guys do, but she is quite feminine. So uh-huh. it's not long before everybody's talking about it. And the captain is forced to address her and Commerson to demand that they explain themselves. And at this point, I mean, I think it's kind of ingenious, right? She breaks down and tells him she's a eunuch. <laughs> Uh, which i mean actually it turns out this is quite safe yeah it really is i i think it's actually quite a clever play because i mean talking about having your bits chopped off is the one thing that's pretty much going to turn the stomach of every man on board and they're going to drop the subject altogether right
1: (laughs) they are and it's going to be like the equivalent of um, if I don't know, a boss is bollocking a woman, and then she starts talking or looking in her handbag for lady things. Yes, <laughs> and the, like the boss just bo he just backs right off.
0: Yeah, like get your tampon out. Would have to back yeah. right off.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: it's so funny, <laughs> it's, the, it's playing the tampon card, Love but that. slightly different. <laughs> we got to play things to our advantage, right? <laughs> so it kind of works, and actually, the sailors pretty much leave her alone after that. So good work. Um, However, the captain says, sorry, but you really do need to go and sleep in the hold with everybody else to pacify the crew because they don't like that you're in there and they think it's suspicious. So she has to go down there and she takes her hammock and she takes with her Commerson's loaded pistols. And she sleeps with these two pistols that he's brought with him. Right. Um, Because you can imagine she is vulnerable out there Uh amongst all these men. But she manages to keep this going, I guess, for like a year or something. And I mean, I'm really just going to sweep past some amazing adventures that they have. They see all kinds of amazing creatures and plants. And I mean, you can imagine whales and dolphins and incredible exotic uh, plant life on the islands and... They almost starve at one point. They almost die of thirst. They almost get shipwrecked. They have some quite fun encounters with some sex-obsessed natives at one point. So yeah, for those of you that love a good old-fashioned adventure story, I would totally recommend learning about this um, voyage because it is a really good read. But there isn't really time to go into any of that. So what I'm going to talk about is how she does actually get discovered. Oh, What I will say is that they did pretty well in terms of collecting um botanic samples from around the world for the king's collection they actually gather about six thousand items and preserve them in boxes and stuff and these that is a lot of plants and foliage and seeds yeah and wow. even things like shells and little bugs and stuff they collect
1: loads of stuff a lot yeah. of species and i wonder if what they collected is still in like the french equivalent of the national museum
0: that is literally what i was about to say they do (sighs) genuinely make their way back to france and they are to this day preserved in the national museum of natural history in france yeah they are in the archives there along with his notes and stuff so it's pretty cool Um, But of course, most of these 6,000 samples, she, Jean, not him, because he's the boss and she's the pack mule. She is the one who's doing all the hard work. She's carrying the boxes and the books and stuff around. She's collecting the samples. She's carrying them on her back. You know, it's actually quite demanding work because she's got to prove that she's a man. She can't shirk Uh from this physical activity, you know.
1: And she's the one that's recognising all of these new species. And oh, yeah. Knowing, she knows what to collect, how to collect them, how to do all of this work Absolutely. Properly. And does she get the credit for it? Does she, heck? She doesn't get an no. ounce of it.
0: So when they're on the other side of the world, she is finally discovered to be a woman once and for all. Uh, I didn't mention, but she's changed her name to Jean. It's not very uh, imaginative. So she's Jean and she's known as John. And they discover okay. her to be a Jean. Um, over in Tahiti. So this is the captain's diary, which was written afterwards, and I'm just going to read to you from it. For some time, there was a report in both ships that the servant of Monsieur de Commeson, named Barret was a woman. His shape, voice, beardless chin and scrupulous attention of not changing his linen or making the natural discharges in the presence of anyone, besides several other signs, had given rise to and kept up this suspicion. But... How was it possible to discover the woman in the indefatigable Barret, who was already an expert botanist, had followed his master in all his botanical walks amidst the snows and frozen mountains of the Strait of Magellan, and had even on such troublesome excursions carried provisions, arms, and herbals with so much courage and strength that the naturalist had called him his beast of burden? And then he goes on to describe how they realised. So... A scene which passed at Tahiti changed this suspicion into certainty. Monsieur de Commessant went on shore to botanize there. Barret had hardly set his feet on shore with the herbal under his arm when the men of Tahiti surrounded him, cried out, It is a woman! and wanted to give her the honors customary in the isle. Whoa. That, so that. Tahitians saw it yes so I mean it's, it's quite hilarious really I mean obviously the sailors had a fair inkling but they've uh-huh. they've gone along with this illusion and and agreed with it but as soon as she sets foot on on shore the Tahitians are like well she's obviously a woman <laughs> we can see lady, it lady. yeah <laughs> um So the Chevalier de Bournard, who's the first lieutenant of the ship, uh, who was upon guard on shore, was obliged to come to her assistance and to escort her back to the boat. After that period, it was difficult to prevent the sailors from alarming her modesty. Mm, Yeah, that doesn't sound good. It doesn't. But I think what it means is they were determined that they were going to find out if she was a woman or not. Now, I don't think this is rape. I think this is genuinely, and you'll, there's another incident in a minute I'm going to tell you about, which helps put this into perspective. But I think it's, they've lifted up her skirts or had pulled down her trousers repeatedly to check, like, and as a prank and stuff. I, I think that's what alarming her modesty means. Okay. Um, I think. So then it goes on. When I came on the board on board the Etoile, Barre, with her face bathed in tears, owned to me that she was a woman. She said that she had deceived her master at Rochefort by offering to serve him in men's clothes at the very moment when he was embarking. That she had already before served a Genevan gentleman at Paris in quality of a valet that being born in burgundy and become an orphan the loss of a lawsuit had brought her to a distressed situation and inspired her with the resolution to disguise her sex that she well knew when she embarked that we were going round the world and that such a voyage had raised her curiosity she will be the first woman that ever made it and i must do her the justice to affirm that she has always behaved on board with the most scrupulous modesty and this is how he finishes it right get this are you ready Mm-hmm. She is neither ugly nor pretty and is not yet 25. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As though he needs to qualify her yeah. <laughs> with a physical description of her <sighs> looks now that now that he knows she's a woman. Yeah. And because we know that women are objects. Yeah. Well, let's make sure we, we reference whether she's attractive or not.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And actually, that that is so good that... Um, uh, the author, Glynis Ridley, about the very start of her book, that is the quote that she puts right at the start, which I thought was brilliant. She is neither ugly nor yeah. pretty and not yet 25. <sighs> so, as I said, there was this other incident just after this, um, which I think might be the alarming of her modesty, as he, as he puts it. So apparently, they land on this beach uh, a bit further up on an island called New Ireland one day. And somehow, Barre, who's been really, really careful up to this point to carry her pistols everywhere, um, somehow forgets to bring the pistols onto the shore with her. Yeah. And this is the quote from another of the... So this is actually the ship's surgeon. This is from his diary. And this is a guy, by the way, that didn't especially like Commerson and was very mistrustful and stuff anyway. So he says, One sorry day, when I have no idea what happened to the pistols, her master left her looking for shells after they had been botanizing. The servants who were doing the laundry seized their advantage and found in her concha veneris, which what's that that is um Venus's shell it's a it's it's like a conch shell ah, concha and it's yep. called okay. a love shell and I think he's making a pun here so they seized their advantage and found in her concha veneris the precious precious shell they had been seeking for so long this Whoa. and then it says this ins- That's loaded. yeah it really is but I don't think it's rape because the next sentence is this inspection was mortifying to her, but ultimately made her more comfortable since she no longer had to pretend binding herself with linen. And I don't okay. think you would say that if it was a rape. I, I think she's been mortified. I think she's she's been exposed as a woman. They have pulled down her trousers yeah. or whatever and they've shown her to be this woman and she's horrified, but at least she is more comfortable because she can so you've got to bear in mind, she's been wrapping herself in these this binding, and it's so. Yeah, and it is so hot and sweaty and salty out there. She is covered in sores all over her breasts at this point. Oh, yeah, God. yeah, I know. So she's actually like, "Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I can actually take this off." <laughs> now, at this point, the author of the book is absolutely adamant that Jean was raped at this point. She absolutely believes that to be the case. But honestly, I really can't see that. I don't know, the word- So Glynis, Glynis believes that <sighs> yeah, she, she was she really does. Raped. And apparently other historians that have looked into this story generally agree that it wasn't a rape, that it's an inspection, that it's revealing, that it's it's about her modesty. But at no point does it really say, anything to indicate evidence of an actual rape. And I feel like it would say that. I guess whatever, she was violated, wasn't she? She absolutely was,
1: yeah. She was violated. Whether she was penetrated or not, it was a
0: violation. Absolutely, and it would have been traumatic.
1: It was a rape of,
0: you know... Of of sorts. sorts. Um, Yeah. I I mean, obviously, we will never know. Um, But on balance, I don't think it was rape. Um, So... They've gone most of the way around the world at this point and are starting to think about heading home, which is going to take a few more months. However, and this, I think, is one of the reasons that Glennis thinks that she was raped. Jean is pregnant. Okay. Oh, yeah. So she's okay. obviously had sex with somebody. But my, my theory mm-hmm. on this is, right, well, she's been exposed as a woman. Everyone knows it on board. Now her and Commerson are like, you know what? We've been waiting all this time because we didn't want to... What if I get pregnant and everyone thinks I'm a man? Like, Jesus. But now that they all know she's a woman, it almost doesn't matter if she gets pregnant, does it? Because, like, it's fine.
1: No, everyone knows. And I guess now she's allowed back
0: in his quarters? Um, oh, I can't remember if she was or not. I think she was because he wasn't very... Oh, that's right. Yeah, his leg had flared up. So she was allowed to go back in and and tend to him anyway. So that's I reckon that's why she was pregnant. Anyway. So at this point, they've reached Mauritius and... It's hard to tell exactly how they pull this off, but basically the captain, I think, throws a wobbler, I reckon, and somehow manages to palm off the unmarried pregnant couple onto the local administrative governor of Mauritius, and then he sails home without them, okay?
1: Because Mauritius is a French... um, Yes. uh,
0: What's it called? I mean, it's a French region, isn't it? Yeah, Um. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's administratively run by the French and the administrator, the governor or whatever the title is at the time is, as it happens, a botanist. So <laughs> they're in luck because they've got a lot in common They're everywhere. Yes. Yeah. But get this. His name is Pierre Poivre. Do you know what Poivre means? Uh Mm, I feel like I should and I do but it
1: means pepper
0: so this guy's name yes
1: I was gonna say it's a plant isn't it it's peter pepper pepper and picked a pipe of pickled pepper yes so
0: apparently this and the fun fact this is literally who the peter piper picked a (laughs) pepper tongue twister was written about this is actually the guy really yeah at least Glynis tells me although when I googled it well, when I Wikipedia'd it, I couldn't see anything straight away, but I didn't have enough time before this recording to look at it properly. So if anyone knows more about this, let us know. Was it the guy? Was it not the guy? But he's a botanist and Pepper was a really expensive like important spice at the time and he would collect it and trade it and stuff. So if it is him, surely it's the greatest example of nominative determinism of all time. (laughs) And guys, if you're listening and you don't know what nominative determinism is, please, for the love of God, Google it immediately. You will have such a laugh. (laughs) There are some great ones.
1: It is perfect. But could it not be that it was named Pepper because of him? Oh.
0: God, yeah. Oh, that would put it in such a uh, less interesting light, though, wouldn't it? But yeah, that would yeah, make sense because no. of the Linnaean taxonomy, the way of naming things. If he discovered Pepper, then I suppose, yeah, it could be. That would be disappointing. But it would be much better if it was the nominative determinism. Yes. That would be Please awesome. Please let it be that. Oh, I'm so disappointed that it might not be that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. So they do obviously go and have the baby. Um... What do you think they do with the baby Louise? <laughs> <laughs> Pop quiz. <laughs> I think
1: unfortunately I know him too well now. Um I'd like to say they uh, was the baby a
0: boy. It was a boy, yes.
1: Okay, yeah, this guy can clearly only father sons um but i'd like to think they raised the boy to be a um, open-minded progressive feminist. feminist of a man <laughs> but i'm just kind of thinking they abandon this
0: baby as well uh yeah they leave it with some guy out on a farm somewhere they've made friends with
1: <laughs> they need to stop having children or abandoning them uh, they're really bad parents
0: yeah although to be fair at this point commerson's gammy leg finally gets the better of him and he dies out there so he couldn't have fathered it anyway Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so it wasn't his child? Uh, well, no, no. I mean, he couldn't have oh, brought father it up. Parented. Like, yeah, but, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it was yeah. his child. That's just my personal view, but we'll never know, obviously. So now Comerson has died, and he's left Jean out there alone on the other side of the world with nothing to her name but 6,000 samples in boxes, right? What is she going to do? Well she's going to have
1: to find her way back to Paris, isn't she? Yeah,
0: but how? How could she possibly get the money that she she can't claim anything from Commerson's will because she's on the other side of the world and she doesn't she can't even contact anyone. She doesn't know what to do. So she does what we all would do in this situation. She gets a job as a barmaid, she meets a French naval officer and she marries him. <laughs> 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 and apparently marrying the French naval officer means that she can get passage home on a trip on a a ship of course I I don't know whether this was a business arrangement or what but she does actually stay with this guy when they get home so I don't know
1: so um at this point it was no longer kind of forbidden for women to travel on boats do you think by the time she was officer
0: but they reckon some palms were greased a little bit. So he was definitely allowed on. Um, But it's not entirely clear how she managed to pull that off. I wonder if maybe she just dressed up as a man again. I mean, it didn't mention it in the book. (laughs) But long story short, she gets home. She comes back. She claims some of the stuff from Commerson's will that she's owed. And with that money, they live together in a cozy country home in this guy's hometown. And you know what? That little cozy cottage must have seemed like paradise. After three years of the salty ocean, getting sunburned with a, your bound chest that's covered in sores swords. all over your breath. Yeah, can you imagine? You'd be like, thank God, even if it was an adventure. And so she gets home in about 17, 1774, I think is when she gets home. And 10 years later, uh, it's 1785, Barre actually gets granted a pension of two hundred livres a year from the Ministry of Marine. And there is a document about this that commemorates her, which is quite cool because it shows that actually she was respected because the captain of the ship has he's published his diary, his writings, and it mentions her in the writings. So she's become kind of famous at the time a little bit. Right. So the Ministry of Marine published a thing that says Jeanne Barret, by means of a disguise, circumnavigated the globe on one of the vessels commanded by Monsieur de Bougainville. She devoted herself in particular to assisting Monsieur de Commerson, doctor and botanist, and shared with great courage the labours and dangers of this savon. Her behaviour was exemplary, and Monsieur de Bougainville refers to it with all due credit his lordship has been gracious enough to grant to this extraordinary woman a pension of 200 livres a year to be drawn from the fund for invalid servicemen and this pension shall be payable from 1st of January 1785. So I think it's quite a big deal to pay that to a woman. And then in 1807, age 67, she dies. Okay. Not of childbirth, obviously. <laughs> no, not of childbirth. She seems to be pretty resilient when it comes to childbirth. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Did she ever have a child with her naval officer? I don't
0: know. At least it's not mentioned in the book. I don't know. I was just wondering if she got rid of that one as well. But, um... <laughs> God, you hope not at that point. She's married and everything's like fine. You hope she's in a stable place to <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hang on to the child. <laughs> So she's come home and she's managed to do this one way all the way around the world trip known as circumnavigation, but she only does it like seven years after the original voyage makes it home to Paris. Because of course she okay. had to stay there, didn't she? Because she had the kid yeah. and all this weird stuff. So mm-hmm. the 6,000 samples we know found their way back. Um, one of which... So, Because of this taxonomy and, like, naming all these new exciting plants and stuff, um, Commerson, at the time, named a bunch of new discoveries after, like, uh, he found this amazing purple, or probably she found this amazing purple flower called, which they named, Bougainvillea, after the Captain Bougainville. And he named Mm -hmm. loads of stuff after crew members and, like, the king and, like, all these people that he knows. And he named one thing, although, to be fair, it has three species, or he thought it did, one thing after Jean, which he called the Baricia, Baricia, Um But later, it turns out that this particular species was already named. So she literally oh. gets written out of botanics altogether. And she was the one that collected all these 6,000 samples and nothing. 6,000, and there's nothing, nothing named after her. No. However... At the end of the book, there's like a epilogue and Glynis Ridley tells us how she's been gotten in touch um, with by some guy, I can't remember the details, offering uh, a newly discovered species to be named after Jean Beret now, which I was like, oh, I was
1: so touched when I read to the end of the That's book. I was like, oh, yeah. Great token, isn't it? Of respect. Really cool. For Jean.
0: Yeah. And it is a, a posthumous, uh, a po- what would it be, yeah. a posthumous naming? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I thought it was really cool. And I hope that has now happened. Although um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly what year this book was published, but it's quite recent. And actually, this is the only book that I could find about her anywhere. And apparently, there is one other biography published in 2002, but only in New Zealand. So thank you, Glennis Ridley, for helping to shine a light on this amazing woman with this great story. So oh, I hope you enjoyed her.
1: I definitely did. I love the adventurers.
0: Um, yeah. And I, I think actually, you know what? We should remind everyone because we did discuss uh, rape in this episode again a little bit. I just feel that we ought to remind everyone um, that if you're affected by rape in any way, you can go to rapecrisis.org.uk. They've got a free helpline. Um, And there are a bunch of other great charities that you could support. There's Women's Aid, Victim Support, the Survivors Trust, Survivors UK. You know, these charities do important work on a a still taboo subject, I think. Um, So if you would like to donate to any of those, that would be absolutely brilliant. So that is the end of our story. And I think that all that's left to discuss, Lou, is what's going on on social media at the minute with us. So we just created a group, didn't we? We did. Yeah. and there's. Well, you did. Well, yeah. uh, And it was almost an accident. I thought, oh, I better create a group. That's the thing some people do. And then someone asked to be a member of it. And I was like, oh, no, someone wants to be a member. (laughs) This is official now.
1: It's a real group. It's a thing.
0: But I actually think it's a great thing um, because we can... People, you guys can chat to us there. We will genuinely respond to any comments in there if you have suggestions for women that you would like us to talk about, if you have any recommendations for books or films. And of course, there's no film about Jean Barret, by the way. Not that I know of anyway. Um, or if you have any interesting stories that you'd like to share with us about women, that would be great. And that's the place to do it. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, we are on... Instagram as well, and I did actually uh, tweet something the other day, but I'm not planning on making a habit of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on that note, I think we've come to the end of another wife who episode.
1: And that, what a great one it was! Thank you.
0: Yeah, well, I think we're going to have to start to move away from the French at this point. <laughs> let's not okay. Let's not do any more French women for a little while. Let's pick somewhere. Um, else somewhere else we've done quite a few yeah. british though haven't we maybe we need to find yeah. some someone someone else somewhere in europe or yeah somewhere i mean in, you managed to do um, vietnam at Asia. one point that was amazing yeah that's true so guys write in if you have any suggestions for more unusual uh women from around the world that we might not have heard of that would be great
1: well vicky has tipped me off on um, a a greek woman i think
0: so yay i'm gonna try and work on that one for you okay was she a philosopher she was not okay Mm, because i was thinking about doing one who was a philosopher all right you watch i bet we'll do two greek ones back to back it's gonna be like we're gonna have this like (laughs) like psychic thing going on between us (laughs) all right so shall we say goodnight, my love yes all right i'm gonna do a fake clink (laughs) (laughs) Mm,
1: That was quite a good one. Yeah, it was, wasn't
0: it? I think it's because I'm holding the wine glass by the stem. Anyway, enough about technical wine. I'm going to go and top it up. Take care, my love. Good night. Good (laughs) night, everybody. Bye-bye. Good night.